This is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of media. I'm Edgar Cruz. And I'm Kenya Alonzo. This week we celebrated International Women's Day, a day that commemorates the history of women workers, suffragettes, and women's rights activists. Tonight we take some time to highlight the work of women right here in the Southwest. We'll hear from Pamela Herndon, Executive Director of the Southwest Women's Law Center, and Asia Dillard, who is a student of Volcano Vista, to discuss the center's work to empower women and young people in the Southwest and beyond. We'll also hear from Cassandra Begay, the Dene co-founder of the Utah-based organization Pandos, peaceful advocates for native dialogue and organizing support, which advocates for the environmental and political rights of indigenous peoples. This evening, we have chosen music by women of all ages to heal and inspire us. Here is Lonely Road by Willow Smith. The Southwest Women's Law Center is a policy and advocacy law center that uses law, research, and collaborations for strong policies that support women and girls, like equal pay for women, pregnancy accommodations in the workplace, paid family leave, and domestic abuse leave. Pamela was also featured in the latest issue of Essence Magazine in an article on black women attorneys working on social justice issues. She also co-hosts Women's Focus right here on KUNM. Now, Pamela Herndon, Executive Director of the Southwest Women's Law Center, and Asia Dillard join 17-year-old GJ intern Kenya Alonzo. This is Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Pamela Herndon and Asian Dillard of the Southwest Women's Law Center. Pamela, Asia, welcome to Generation Justice. We're so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Would you please tell us more about yourselves? So I am the executive director of the Southwest Women's Law Center. It's a policy and advocacy law center that's been in, in existence since 2005. And what we do is we focus on helping to lift women out of poverty, help them to realize their full economic and personal uh, power in the state of New Mexico. And um, I am really happy to be able to say that we work throughout the entire state to make that happen. Hi, I'm Asia Dillard. I'm 17 years old, and I'm currently a senior at Volcano Vista High School. At Volcano Vista High School, I'm involved in various clubs, such as DECA and Black Student Union. Black Student Union is very, very important to me as it increases representation of African Americans in my community. Thank you. Pamela, would you please tell us more about the mission of the Southwest Women's Law Center? Absolutely. It's important to realize that women suffer all sorts of discrimination. And what we try to do is to eliminate bias and discrimination and harassment. And there's been a lot in the news lately about the harassment that women sometimes endure when they're in the job market. And so what we do is we try to make sure that there are policies in place, that there are statutes in place that will protect women no matter where they are, if they're working in the work environment or if they're working uh, just walking down the street. So our goal at the Southwest Women's Law Center is to lift women, their families, out of poverty 
to eliminate discrimination, and to make sure that every single woman has control over their reproductive health care. Are there other women law centers across the country? And if so, how does the one in New Mexico differ? So thank you for that question. There are only five women state-based law centers in the entire country. So one is located in Washington State, in California, then of course right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Pennsylvania, and in Minnesota. And what's so very different about the one in New Mexico is that we have a cross-cultural group of women that we are able to help. So there are Latina, there are African American, there are Native American women in such great numbers that they don't exist in any other state the way they do in New Mexico. And so that makes us very unique and very different in terms of the cross-cultural relationships that we are able to protect. Thank you. Now, March is Women's History Month, and we just celebrated International Women's Day. How is the legacy of this day important to the work of the Women's Law Center? So it's incredibly important because women make up more than half of the population of the state of New Mexico. And in that regard, we need to make sure that every aspect of a a woman's life is protected. So prior to the Affordable Care Act, women in this state were had the highest number of uninsured women in the entire country. So we had to make sure that that didn't happen anymore. We worked very closely to make sure that every single woman got health care. And so with International Women's Day, it was important for us to look at how women across the state were being treated and what was it, what particular area needed to be focused on to make sure that women were being lifted out of poverty and that no discrimination was being inflicted upon these women. Now, how does the Southwest Women's Law Center reach out to high school students? This is my favorite part. Every year, what we like to do is to find a law school student preferably a girl, who's interested in public interest law and in social justice issues. And if she's passionate about those issues, we invite her to come and join with us and to learn from our very unique staff about helping her to perpetuate those issues. And for the past couple of years, we've had students from South Valley Academy. We've had students from um, other high schools within the state. And they come and they learn those issues and how to develop them and how to protect women. And we also look for funding from areas like the Disney Corporation, who will also support youth in terms of uh, social justice issues. So that's how we reach out to them throughout the entire state. Cool. Thank you. Asia, how did you meet Pamela? I met Miss Pamela through a group called the Emerging Young Leaders, which is through Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. And from the moment I met her, I was very inspired by her work and all she does for our community. Thank you. Now, Asia, as a young black woman, what does Women's History Month and Women's Day mean to you? As a young black African-American, especially a woman, Women's International Day means so, so much to me. It's this day of empowerment among women around our nation. It is this day to really remind women, girls, and just the whole nation that we are empowered. We will not sit back and let these societal constructs be placed upon us. We're going to rise up. And if something's wrong, we're going to do something about it. Amazing. Thank you. Now, Asia... What have been some of the most remarkable things that you have learned through your community involvement? 
Some of the most uh, remarkable things I've learned, ex- uh, one of the examples I want to use is Black Student Union. I realized that when a group comes together, change can really, really happen. This group of African-Americans that I have at my school, at Volcano Vista, we work together to empower the community and really teach what it is like to be an African-American in today's society. Thank you. Now, would you tell us about some of the projects that you've worked on? One of the projects um, that really sticks out to me right now is at Volcano Vista, we came up with a program called One Hawk, One Heart. And we came up with this because of a situation that happened at our school involving a racial slur. And to be a part of a program that educates people that racial slurs cannot be thrown around like normal words, that we will not stand for that in our schools. I feel like being a part of a program like that really enriched me and made me feel like a better person, especially to educate somebody else on an issue like that. Thank you. Now, Pamela, I understand that the Law Center has recently just celebrated its seventh annual Celebrating Women's Story event. Would you tell us more about this event? Absolutely. What we like to do is to look at individuals throughout the state of New Mexico who work to help uplifting, who help to uplift, rather, women and their families. And so every year we recognize three people who not only perpetuate and advance the mission and goals of the Southwest Women's Law Center, but those of women and girls in the state. This year we recognize Professor David Stout, who at the University of New Mexico School of Law helps women to understand their passion and to uh, advance through law school successfully. With the, we also recognized Representative Gail Chasey, who's been just an amazing woman in helping to make sure of the strong policies that are in existence in New Mexico. For example, she helped in passing the Fair Pay for Women Act. She was there when we were working to pass a piece of legislation for girls who are pregnant and in high school so that they will have more time to complete their work without losing credit. We looked at women who are victims of domestic violence. This state had the second highest rate of domestic violence in the entire country, so that women who are survivors of domestic violence can have up to 14 days away from their jobs in order to look for a new place to live, to move their children, and not have fear of losing their jobs. So she was also very instrumental in making sure that there was a pregnancy accommodation bill that was passed during this last legislative session, the last 60-day legislative session, and working on both sides of the aisles, we got it passed. Unfortunately, it was vetoed by the governor. But we also finally recognized a, a woman by the name of Corrine Sanchez, who's the executive director of Tiwa Women United, and she's been the voice of Native American women throughout northern New Mexico. Thank you. Um, why is celebrating women's stories so important? You know, many, many times women do and are involved in amazing works, and they don't get recognition for what they do. So what we're doing in celebrating women's stories is to make sure that the good deeds that women are doing are lifted up and elevated. Or in the alternative, those people who are helping to lift up women in their good deeds are elevated. So that's why we want to make sure that that, that, that signature event, Celebrating Women's Stories, continues to happen every single year. Thank you. How does fostering um, women's stories 
fosters the societal change? One of the things that we're doing in societal change right now is looking at what's happening with our Native American women. So there are a number of tribes and pueblos, of course, in this state, each one being autonomous of themselves. So what we are trying to create is something called an Indigenous Women's Resource Center, where we bring together Native American women so that they can talk about issues that are unique to them and to their tribes and to their pueblos, that that conversation doesn't often occur because every single Pueblo and tribe is autonomous. And once we get that Indigenous Women's Resource Center started in Gallup, New Mexico, the next step is to create an Indigenous Women's Resource Congress so that every single tribe and Pueblo is represented to talk about the issues in their tribes and Pueblos and that there can be a, a, a source, a place where safe conversations can occur and resolutions can occur and be resolved in that environment. Now, Pamela, you were actually just featured in Essence magazine, along with other black women attorneys. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a female black attorney in New Mexico. You know, in New Mexico, African-American attorneys make up about 2% of all attorneys that are in the entire state. And often what happens when there are issues affecting black women Many people don't pay attention to it because the numbers of individuals in this state who are of African-American descent are very small. And so the, the issues that are facing them are considered to be significant, uh, statistically insignificant. So what I can do as a woman sitting at the, at the Southwest Women's Law Center is be at the table and explain to funders and others, you know, no matter how small those numbers are, they're very real to African-American women. And so it's important that you pay attention to those numbers, however small they are, because they make a difference on the lives of that population. Definitely. Thank you. Now, is there anything else that either of you would like to add? I would just like to hop on one of the things that Ms. Pamela was talking about, especially relating to this wage gap and this unequal pay. There are still a lot of people out here that do not believe that this is, exists. I've had peers, specifically male peers, tell me that there's no such thing as a wage gap. I've never heard of something like that. There's no distribution of, like, there's no, there's basically no difference in the, in the pay. And in the field that I want to go into, specifically surg surgery and medicine, that is something that I realize as an African-American woman that I will have to deal with. So I really commend Ms. Pamela and her team for all the work they do to stop something like this from happening. And let me just say that our high school intern did a study of boys and girls in high school to see if there really was a difference in pay. And it was amazing to find out that it starts in high school. There was truly a significant difference between what boys and girls were earning. And so our organization, the Southwest Women's Law Center, helped to pass the Fair Pay for Women Act, which has more teeth and more ability for women to recover when they're not being paid fairly than the Equal Pay Act that was passed in 1963. So... In that regard, New Mexico is moving one step closer to making sure that equal pay and fair pay for women in this state does exist. I just want to say thank you to both of you for taking the time to come in. You two are such amazing women of color in, my, in like our community. And I just want to say that I really look up to you both. And you guys are giving me a lot of faith in the future. And I hope to continue to see you guys just grow. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors in broadcasting and journalism. I know you'll go far. 
And I want to see Generation Justice on for many, many more years. And thank you for being here. And thank you for inviting us. Thank, thank you so you. much. This was Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice. Thank you, Kenya. Women in New Mexico are the backbone of our community. And I'm thankful for you, Pamela, Asia, and the Southwest Women's Law Center, who seek out justice for all women. Our next song is The Greatest by King, followed by Young Girls by Princess Nokia, all artists who write songs that empower women of color. Sandra Begay grew up on the Navajo Nation Reservation, and now she has dedicated her career to protecting the indigenous land and advocating for the sovereignty rights of Native people. Now my co-host, Kenya Alonza, speaks to Cassandra, who is the tribal liaison and co-founder of PANDOS, Peaceful Advocates for Native Dialogue and Organizing Support, to discuss the importance of indigenous and feminine voice in the fight for environmental sovereignty and advocacy. This is Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Cassandra Begay, a Diné woman and activist who is the tribal liaison for PANDOS, Peaceful Advocates for Native Dialogue and Organizing Support, an organization based in Utah. Cassandra, welcome to Generation Justice. Will you please introduce yourself? Hello, Yant E. She Cassandra Begay, Yanisha. I am from the Navajo Nation, um, the largest. Native American tribe in the United States. Uh, we are also um, the largest nation. Our nation is over 17 million acres. I was born and raised on Tobe City, Arizona. Thanks for having me. Definitely. We're so happy to have you. And I, I just want to say yate. Cassandra, will you tell us more about PANDOS and how you came to be a part of the organization? So PANDOS is a nonprofit that I helped co-found in Salt Lake City, Utah. Originally, we were um, founded because we, me and my friends, went out to Standing Rock in solidarity with, uh, to stand, stand in solidarity with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, while my friends were there, they wanted to come back to the community here in Utah and help um, elevate the voice of indigenous tribes and when it comes to our, our issues in our communities. And so um, we formed PANDOS, which stands for Peaceful Advocates for Native American Dialogue and Organizing Support. It's also the largest living and oldest organism, uh, the Pando tree, which is connected by the same root, um, which is how we feel about 
humanity. We're all connected by the same root. Um, and so what we do is we um, try to help elevate the voice of Native American tribes and communities here and in Salt Lake City, Utah, throughout the Four Corners region of the United States. And we do a lot of advocacy for human rights and protecting our Mother Earth. Thank you. Um, I just want to say, you know, looking at your website, watching your interviews, reading articles about you, I was very inspired to see such a strong indigenous woman that I can look up to. Um, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, role models that are like me. And so I want to ask, what is the significance of indigenous female leadership in the environment? So as Dina people, we are a matriarch. And women have always been the most powerful in the community. We have always been the strongest in our communities. And the way that we identify ourselves is through our our mother's side, her bloodline. And so we've kind of always been one with the land, with Mother Earth. You know, when you look at Mother Earth, she gives us life, she gives us air, water, food, housing. She nourishes us like children. That's where I get my um, truth and that's where I get my power is from the land, from my mother. Um, and the women in my family are the strongest in our family. They're the ones that um, are the healers and they keep our family together and they keep us strong and they teach us how to live in such a way that we're in harmony with all things around us. So women have always been very influential and powerful in in my world and in my life and that they possess the knowledge and the traditions to keep humanity alive. Definitely. Thank you. Um, Tell us about your experience at the Obama Foundation Summit and what it meant to you as a Diné woman to speak on a national platform. So I've always admired um, President Obama and Michelle Obama, and I was deeply concerned about the challenges we faced as Native American communities. And I thought um, that maybe if I went and tried to meet President Obama or Michelle Obama or other people who were um, experiencing oppression or racism or other marginalized communities who were struggling, I thought maybe I could learn new things about how to come back to our community and help and bring that knowledge. And a lot of it was because I was very concerned about um, Bears Ears National Monument and how uh, the Trump administration is not um, giving a lot of time to tribes in terms of listening to us. And I just put my name in the hat and there were thousands of applicants that applied um, and they only chose like 500 people. When they told me that I was selected, I was like, yes. Absolutely. I need to go there because there is a sense of urgency because I was really 
angry because I saw the Trump administration lying about tribes and I just was really concerned about that. So I was happy that I got accepted. And then while I was there, I got an email that said I had been selected to uh, do a live interview and that the live interview was going to be conducted by President Obama. And at that point, I was like, is this real? I couldn't believe it because, I one, I have deep admiration for President Obama. He's the one who actually gave the proclamation, um, the, the designation to the Barrett National Monument. He actually listened to tribes and what they wanted, and he honored that. And I knew that I was going to be meeting with him. I was a little bit nervous. I was very nervous. <laughs> um, when I actually met him, you know, they said the host is entering the room and he was coming across and I just was really nervous. And then he, he introduced himself to us and he's just really personable, he's really friendly, nice. And as we were sitting there, I said a prayer with the other two guys that I was interviewing uh, with because they were really nervous. They were shaking. We were all were. And so I just said a prayer to the creator and I said, you know, like, help us calm down. <laughs> help us calm down and, and appreciate and be in this moment with this great leader. And um, as soon as the interview started with President Obama and I, a calm came over me. And it was so strange because I was, I had so much pressure on my shoulders. I had so much I wanted to talk to him about. And when he said my name and we started talking, he started asking me questions. Just, I felt very calm. I wore my rug dress and my moccasins and he said that my dress, dress was beautiful. <laughs> um, and I wore my rug dress because I wanted youth like yourself to see and to know that it's very special where we come from as indigenous people, as the first people to this land. So it was an honor for me to wear my grandma's rug dress that she made when meeting a great leader. Thank you. I just want to say when you were talking in that interview, it was so nice and it was so amazing to me. I know that other Native youth or any youth who watched you definitely felt that. I just want to say that. <laughs> Thank you. It means a lot for you to say that to me because I actually look up to the youth a lot. I think they're so powerful. And I see how beautiful they are and how funny. Even after all these years of colonization and fighting for who we are, that's the most beautiful thing to see is are youth thriving and being powerful and finding their truth and speaking their truth? Oh my God, I'm getting emotional. It just, it's so nice <laughs> to talk to someone and, you know, have them describe how I feel, but in their own words, but for me to understand and to connect with it, that's amazing. Um, why is it so important to take care of national monuments like Bears Ears? It's the first time that a president has acknowledged our spirituality and the proclamation of Berzier's National Monument. And that's very significant because as Indigenous people, you know, the land is not a resource to us. The land is our way of life. I think that a lot of people are interested in that and how to come together and 
heal and come together in friendship and move forward together and create a future that we all want to see for ourselves. And that is why Barriers National Monument is so important. And not only is it a national monument to protect and preserve our way of life, but it's a space for people to come together in friendship. It's a space for our future generations to be able to come back to the land and heal themselves when they need healing. And it's a space um, where Native Americans reclaim their power because they now have co-management of the land, and that's never happened before. I think that that space is symbolic and significant of the future we all want to see. You know, that land has a lot of our... Uh, sacred burial sites. The only memories that we have sometimes to our ancestors with their writings and their art on the rocks, their pottery, that's such a crucial piece to the history of humanity. Um, And not only that, but I grew up in that area between the Navajo Nation and uh, the Bears Ears region. And so I grew up very much close to mother earth and it's the best part of my life and i'm so grateful for being able to have such a deep relationship with mother earth and to live so close with her like that because in retrospect it's what helps me survive because as an indigenous woman it's very difficult sometimes to you know be modernized but also sustain my culture and my language and my heritage If you were able to sit and talk with someone like Donald Trump or Ryan Zink, what would you say to make them understand the importance of sacred areas like barriers? As as much as I disagree with what the Secretary of Interior, Ryan Zinke, and and President Trump have um, done in many different ways, I would first step into a conversation with them with kindness to acknowledge them as human beings because there's nothing more important that you can do than to acknowledge another human being's spirit. And I would just introduce myself and speak the language, the Navajo language that saved us, the Navajo code talkers that saved the United States. I would speak that language to them. They need to hear that. They need to hear those languages that are much older than them and their families. And by the way, I did speak with Ryan Zinke. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. It was not a pleasant encounter. Um, But this is the thing. I asked him a simple question when he came to visit in Bears Ears. You know, I, I asked a simple question about what his plans were to meet with the tribes while he was there. If I ever had a chance to sit down with him again, I would ask him the same question. You know, um, why he didn't meet with the tribes, why he's lying about what the tribes want, and how are things going to change in the future? Is he going to own up to the lies that he's saying and really hold him accountable? Because that's what we need to do. These, you know, any politician, any representative, Their salaries come from our taxes. Therefore, they're accountable. We need to hold them accountable to us. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, I do. I I would just, we're living in some difficult times, 
but some also beautiful times. Um, and I would just challenge everyone out there to dig down deep and be proud of where you come from as indigenous people and to continue to speak your truth, continue to reclaim your power with your relationship to the land and sustaining your cultures through your songs, your ceremonies, your dances, and reach across the table to somebody that's different than you and take the opportunity as, as an educational opportunity that come from that place of truth and love and healing and power. Thank you so much, Cassandra. It's been so nice to talk to you. And um, when I was first told I'd be interviewing you, I really wanted to do more research. And I think I've learned a lot about you and from you, this interview. So I just want to say thank you. I'm so proud of you that um, you are on this journey and you are in a position that is so powerful to be able to elevate the voice of our people. Thank you so much. I think about that a lot, and I'm just really thankful to be where I am and with the people that I'm with. For Generation Justice, I'm Kenya Alonzo. Cassandra co-founded Pandos after Standing Rock in 2017 and has continued to inspire and elevate the voices of Indigenous women. Thank you for sharing this conversation with me, Generation Justice, and our listeners. Cassandra, it was such an honor to interview you. As a young Navajo woman, you are such a role model to me. All the work you've done and will do is so important, not just to me, but to every other Indigenous person in America. Thank you. Up next, we'll hear the music of New Mexico Native and Diné activist Lila June with All Nations Rise. Indigenous people. Shine your light, we are equal. I remember the days when our prayers were illegal. I remember the days when being Indian was lethal. Yeah, we had a rough past, but get ready for the sequel. Welcome back to Generation Justice. You just heard All Nations Rise by Lila June. Now, before we close our show, we have a few community events to share with y'all. Kenya, won't you start us off with some of those events on our community calendar? Well, on Saturday, March 24th, join students across the country as we take to the streets to demand that our lives and safety become a priority and that gun violence and mass shootings in school end. The March for Our Lives starts at 10.10 a.m. on the corner of San Felipe Street in Old Town. Then we'll detour through the 12th Street neighborhood and end at Tiway Park with a rally at 10 a.m. Speakers at the rally include local slam poet Mercedes Holtry, Elena Martinez from La Cueva High School, Aline Bernstein, president of the Albuquerque Teachers Federation, and more. For more information on this youth-led action, please visit the March for Our Lives Albuquerque NM on Facebook or email marchforourlivesabq at gmail.com. Next, the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness invites local artists and creators to contribute an item that explores the concept of home for their home is where the art is, silent auction, to benefit the unsheltered women and children in our state. The coalition is accepting all interpretations and all media, including crafts and fine art, and artists should consider including a short statement on why the piece evokes home. For more information, please contact the New Mexico Coalition to End Homelessness at 505 503-5175 in Albuquerque or 
9,000 in Santa Fe. Auction items may be donated at any time up until April 20th. Home is Where the Art Is Silent Auction will take place on Sunday, April 29th, 2018 from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. at St. Michael's and All Angels Episcopal Church at 601 Montano Road, Northwest Albuquerque. Our next song of women empowerment is Antipatriarca by Anna Tiju. We've come to the end of another hour of resistance. We would like to thank our guests, Pamela Herndon, Asia Dillard, and Cassandra Begay. Your stories and work have certainly empowered us. Production assistance came from Kateri Zuni and Roberta Rael. And thank you to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can use all of our media work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by POD. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Kalanama Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our final songs tonight are Women by Angel Olson and I Get Along Without You Very Well by Nina Simone. I'm Edgar Cruz. And I'm Kenya Alonzo. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Nos vemos pronto y que siempre viva la mujer. You can leave now if you want to. I still be This parade is almost over. Except when soft rains fall